0: Amen. Well, this morning, uh, church, we're continuing in our, uh, journey together through a sermon series, uh, striving to be faithful. Uh, we're, we're kind of talking about what it looks like for us, uh, to be followers of Jesus, to, to try to be faithful to him, to follow him in the ways in which he leads and guides and directs us. Uh, and last week, uh as we've kind of started the series we talked about the need that as, as we try to follow Jesus faithfully sometimes it leads us to places where we where we have to separate from others. Uh separation acknowledges that we are that we're traveling on separate paths. Uh, even if we hope to arrive at the same destination there are times that we need to to go different paths from those around us. Uh, And last week I shared a few Wesleyan groups that have gone down different paths over the years, kind of starting in the 1800s, but I think we could go even further back. I was reminded this past week as I'm driving down Rampart, uh, headed out into the Deep Creek area, that I passed by a Greek Orthodox church, I think it's Holy Trinity, Greek Orthodox Church, and then right next to it is uh, San Padre Catholic Church. Uh, And the Greek Orthodox and the Catholic Church, they parted ways probably a little over a thousand years ago. A uh, thousand years of different paths. They hoped to arrive at the same destination, but at some point in time they said, you know what? Like there's something that's leading us to go in different directions. Uh, and then another kind of just interesting thing, like over on the other side of that, the park that's right here, uh, is an Episcopal church, which uh, if you don't kind of have all of your church history memorized just yet, uh, that's the denomination that Methodism actually came out of. John Wesley was uh, a part of the Church of England and Methodism sprung forth out of that. So that's kind of a the parent denomination to the Methodist church. But there came a time when they realized there was something new that was going on. There was something that God was calling them to. And in order to be faithful to that calling, they had to to find a way of separating and so, as we were talking about this, we, I, I shared separation can come with hurt and pain at times. Uh, that that it's not always something that feels good. If you've been through a, a separation of some sort, uh, whether it's from a, a person or whether it's from a group of people, uh, you you kind of know that it comes with some hurt and pain. Uh, but in the midst of that, uh, one we trust that that. Jesus walks with us as we're in the middle of the fire, like that he's there with us in the midst of that. Uh, but we also count on the calling of Jesus as we're striving to be faithful to, to give witness, even in the midst of hurt and pain, to bless one another and not curse one another. That the way in which we part ways says as much about who we are uh, as the fact of our parting ways. And so as we talked about that last week, we're, we're kind of switching gears And over the next few weeks, uh, we're talking about the kinds of things that we can actually build unity around, right? So if we're parting from one thing to another thing, uh, what is the thing that's going to draw us close together? What is it that actually unifies us? What things are worth building unity and connection around? And our first scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to read a, a good chunk of that, verses 1 through 16. So I invite you to open your Bibles with me there uh, to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, reading verse 1 through 16. And the, uh, the heading in my Bible uh, for this is unity in the body of Christ. Now, Uh, The headings, as you read through the Bible, they they weren't put there by the author, like Paul, who wrote the book of Ephesians. He didn't write that in there. That's something that somebody came along and said, oh, I think this section is about this. Uh, But it kind of gives us an idea that these 16 verses are talking about what it looks like to be unified uh, as the body of Christ, what it is that actually brings us together. And so uh, Paul's writing here, he says, I therefore... The prisoner and the Lord beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called Uh, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. And then Paul here kind of has a little bit of an excursus. He he likes to let us know how smart he is. Um, As as the Spirit speaking through him, though, but he says, when he says he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. And he's talking about Jesus here, and then he kind of gets back on point. Uh, He says the gifts that he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up the body of Christ. Until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the son of God, to maturity. To the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth and love, we must grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined in it together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. Uh, This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Say thanks be to God. So Paul, oftentimes as he writes, I mean, Paul is somebody who was, uh, he was an expert in the law. He was, he was well-educated, well-learned. And so he, he packs stuff in there real densely and real tightly. And so we're, we're going to kind of try to unpack it a little bit. Kind of first as we're, as we're reading this passage, uh, we see uh, that it's It's about unity. The passage itself is talking about what unifies us as the body of Christ. It talks about the importance of how we live a life that is worthy of God's calling. If God has done a work within us, there's a response that we have to that work that God has done in our lives. There's a a response, a way in which we live in response to the good news of Jesus Christ, the the love that God has shown us in Jesus Christ. And and so uh, there's a way in which we live a life worthy of God's calling by how we relate to others. And really, it's suggesting, it's telling us that we need other people to do that. We need connection, right? We need one another. We need to be a part of the body of Christ. Uh, John Wesley would say, there's no such thing as a solitary Christian, right? You can't just be a Christian on your own. There's a way in which God desires for us to be together as a body. Even, even when we disagree, we need each other. Uh, whether that's being a part of the same body or, or whether we end up in separate bodies, uh, it's about how we live together. Uh, This passage, as Paul's writing, talks about what's at the core of that unity, what it is that ties and knits that body together. It talks about how we live in unity. And so in verse 3, as a part of how we walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling, Paul says that we are to make every effort uh, to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And now, sometimes as I'm reading scripture, I like to kind of look and see, you know, how other people have read and talked about it, different commentaries and preachers. Uh, there's a really, you know, renowned preacher, Charles Spurgeon, and as he's kind of preaching and writing about this, he says that we can understand this unity of the spirit, what Paul's talking about in verse three, uh, by understanding what it's not. It says that it does not say uh, to endeavor to mean the unity of evil, the unity of superstition or the unity of spiritual tyranny. It does not say endeavoring to keep up your ecclesiastical arrangements for centralization. It does not say endeavoring to keep the uniformity of the spirit. So when we think of our efforts towards unity, uh, what it does mean is that there has to be something at the core of what it is that's unifying us. There has to be something at the core that is worth being unified around. Uh, There has to be something that's going to unify us that enables us to live in humility with gentleness, with patience, with bearing one another in love, right? That's what Paul is talking about. Our character should look like the unity to which we are called has to be based on more than just some ideal, more than just a name on a building, more than just a hoped for outcome because structural or denominational unity, a forced unity based on trust clauses. It's not going to bring about the kind of character that Paul is writing about, right? The kind of unity that empowers us to keep the bond of peace as grounded in Jesus Christ. As Spurgeon would go on to say in his sermon, we want unity in the truth of God through the spirit of God. This let us seek after, let us live near to Christ, for this is the best way of promoting unity. Uh, another kind of renowned uh, author and uh, spiritual guide, Henry Nouwen said it this way, says how often we try to make unity among ourselves by focusing on each other, trying to find the place where we can feel united. But Jesus calls us to seek our unity in him. When we direct our attention to God, then we discover that in God, we also belong to each other. It, it kind of reminds me uh, when I was going through premarital counseling, my wife, uh, Gwen, and I, before we were getting married, the, the person who we were meeting with you know, drew a triangle and they said, you know, you and Gwen, y'all are at kind of the bottom at the triangle and at the top is God. And the closer that you draw to God, the closer that you draw to one another. It's, it's this closeness this nearness to god that becomes the unifying force among us it's having jesus at the center of our lives the core of our being that actually enables us to learn how to love one another well and if you actually look at this uh kind of triangle diagram if only one person is drawing closer to god you're still not any closer to one another. It's it's both people. It's, it's all parties drawing closer to God, centering their lives on him that enables it to work, that enables us to actually be unified, that enables us to be patient with one another, that enables us to be honest with one another, that enables us to be gentle with one another. And so as we read this appeal from Paul to the church, we kind of hear this unifying factor of Jesus Christ throughout his letter, who Jesus is and what he's done for us. You know, our beliefs about what is true and right and good are the things that lead us to be unified with one another. It's our drawing closer to Jesus, centering our lives, centering our church on him that builds our unity with one another to the point that we can actually have the kind of character of Christ amidst each other. Because these, these aren't things that come naturally. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm not a naturally patient person. It's not the thing that just, that just comes up. You know, I, I experience this as a parent, right? I tell my kids to do something and I expect it done right away. If I come back five minutes later and they're doing something different, you know, I, I start to feel this tension rising up within me. And you know, if it's another five minutes or another five minutes after that, right? Patient is not naturally who I am. I don't know that gentleness is naturally naturally who I am if I'm being honest, right? I mean, that's, that's just not the environment that I grew up in. And so it's not a part of who I am. It's, it's only as I draw closer to Christ and I, and I can reflect on and remember and think about how patient he's been with me, that I can develop any kind of sense of patience with somebody else. It's only as I reflect on how God has first forgiven me, that I can learn how to forgive somebody else. And, and when I think about just how much God has had to forgive me for, that I could be gracious enough to forgive the people around me. It's only as I reflect on how God continues to be faithful within my life that I can learn what it means to be to be faithful to others. See, I mean, if Jesus isn't the core, isn't the center, we're not going to end up where where we need to be, we're not going to end up where God desires for us to be. We're not going to end up having any kind of unity at all. We're not going to end up having the character that is worthy of the calling of Christ. See, it's it's amazing to me. Uh, you know, a person could be uh, involved in ministry in the church. A person could be involved in Bible studies. They could they could be active in a number of different things. And they can still be impatient towards somebody. They can still be bitter towards somebody. Because it's not the doing the churchy thing that makes us more unified. It's not all the activities that makes us unified. It's our, it's our yielding our heart towards Jesus. Right? That as I try to yield my heart towards Christ, as you try to yield your heart towards Christ, as we strive to be faithful to his calling, it brings us closer together. See, our unity, uh, the way we act in unity, the kinds of behaviors that lead to us being unified are centered in Jesus, centered in following what he taught us. It's, it's hearing the call that Jesus gives us and saying, okay, this is hard. Okay, this, this might not be the thing that I want to do, but I hear Jesus calling me to it, and so I'm going to follow him because I trust him. It reminds me, you know, in Matthew uh, chapter 18, Jesus kind of gives us some instruction for how we handle conflict, right? It says that if a, a brother or sister sins against you, if a brother or sister offends you, go to that person, tell them about it. And if they listen, then you've regained a friend, you've regained a brother or sister. Now, most people, in my experience... Have no desire to go to another person and tell them that. It's one of the hardest things that we can do sometimes is to say, hey, you know what? You you said this and it really hurt. Hey, you you did this thing and it really offended me. There's there's nothing within us that's just dying for that moment. Rather, most of the time, uh, our natural response is to go and tell our friend uh, about it. To go and let them know, hey man, so-and-so did this to me, and, and, and man, I, I'm just so upset about it. And then our friend like, jumps on board with it, and they're like, yeah, you know, I can't believe they would do that to you. How could they? And then you just kind of build each other up, and this bitterness in you grows, and, and then it kind of actually becomes this disunifying factor. So Jesus, following what he says, is actually something that, that doesn't come natural. It's something that's difficult. We can only do it as we're seeking to follow him, as we're striving after Christ first. Just saying, you know what, I want to be unified is not going to make us unified. But saying, you know what, I want to follow Christ. That'll bring us closer together. It's this unity in Jesus that Paul says, you know, apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds and teachers have been uh, been called to. In verse 12 and 13, uh, he says, these persons have been gifted to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. And that's quite a, quite a big sentence. F- Paul's uh, putting quite a few phrases together. Uh, I'm not sure that would pass an English exam. But, but, but as Paul's speaking here, he's, he's saying that there's people who've been gifted by God, not to, not to build themselves platforms or to elevate themselves, but to, to give themselves to the body of Christ, to help the body mature and grow into the fullness of Christ. The, the calling uh, for apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers is to help people become more like Jesus. Is to build up unity through our faith and our knowledge of Jesus. And again, note, the source of unity that Paul is driving us towards is Jesus. The core part of what brings us together, of what builds our character, what binds us together is Jesus. Unity happens as we grow in the knowledge of the Son of God, as we allow our knowing of him to penetrate our often thick-walled souls. Paul, uh, he's not speaking just theoretically. He's speaking from his own experience. When he's talking about knowledge of the Son of God, he, he doesn't mean like I've got a lot of head knowledge. I know a lot of facts about Jesus He's talking about, he's saying that I've encountered him in a real way that has changed and transformed my heart and my soul, that has changed and transformed my life. Paul was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. He was well-educated. He knew all of the laws, and he was so so focused on on following all of those things following all of this head knowledge that he was even persecuting christians at times but then on a on a road to damascus where he was headed off to go arrest some more followers of jesus he had an encounter with jesus that changed his life he he met him. jesus showed up to him spoke to him and it changed paul's life completely And, and as he had this encounter with christ As he had this ongoing renewal of his relationship with Jesus, it began to shape and transform his character. He he found a new source that drove him to the point that he's now writing letters to encourage and equip the saints to be unified in Christ. Now, there's a... There's a song that's been sung in a great number of Methodist churches over the years. And I kind of remember it being a Methodist women's sort of song. Uh, I don't know why I'm connecting it there, but uh, it's a song that's called Bind Us Together. And I, I heard it a lot uh, over the years. Uh, I never realized this. It's a song from the 70s. Uh, and it was written at a time when there was some commotion in uh, in Britain over a house church movement of people. Uh, who wanted more expression and freedom within the established structures of the church. Right? They wanted to, to really experience and encounter the work of the Holy Spirit within their lives, and, and the church environment they were part of uh, was restricting, was kind of saying, no, no, we, we, can't, we can't do that. And, and so they began to step out of their churches and, forming, and formed house churches together. And so the guy who wrote the song, Bob Gilman, he was invited by someone to one of these home gatherings, uh, this kind of breakaway church that was pulling out of its denomination. And he writes, he says, I was hungry to learn more about what God was doing through this outpouring of the Holy spirit. I was immediately struck by the warmth and the vibrancy of the people who came from the various churches in the area. Their unity was solidified by the joy they experienced. Because of their profound encounter with the Holy Spirit. What what binded the people together was the joy they experienced through their encounter with the Holy Spirit. At the, at the center of their unity, what bound them together was the Spirit moving and working among them. Right, and if, if you haven't heard this song, uh, as Bob's writing, it says, uh, Bind us together, Lord, bind us together with cords that cannot be broken. Bind us together, Lord, bind us together. Bind us together with love. There is only one God. There is only one King. There is only one body. That is why we sing. And and now, in my experience, this verse and chorus was was the only one that I ever heard sung. I don't know if that's the only thing that was written uh, in in the hymnal that people were singing out of, but people would just kind of repeat this phrase over and over and over this bind us together uh, around an idea of love. Which, you know, really becomes being just kind of unified around it. We're, we're going to be bound together because we're bound together. But Bob, who wrote the song, had another verse to it uh, that I just kind of discovered, and I thought I was like, you know what? This makes all the more sense because this other verse says, "Made for the glory of God, purchased by His precious Son, born with the right to be clean. For Jesus, the victory has won." Right? as he's writing this, he's saying. What binds us together is not some ideal of being bound together. It's not just, you know, something that we hope to attain for. What binds us together is that you and I, we've been made for the glory of God, that that you and I have been purchased by his son through the death of Christ on the cross, through his resurrection from the dead, the salvation that he's offered to us, the, the forgiveness of our sins that has come to us through him that's offered to us, that we receive this gift. And then he says, born with the right to be clean. He's saying that, that what binds us together is this gift of salvation. And what binds us together is this journey towards being sanctified, to being changed and shaped by Christ's work in our life, so that we take on Christ's character. And then we receive the victory that he's won when we join together and we sing the song in heaven. See, Bob is is saying that in this verse, what's what's really at the heart of our unity is this victory that Jesus has won for us, the victory that's found in knowing Him. This victory that enables us to actually be changed and transformed within our lives, to leave old ways behind and to take on new ways. See, any binding together in love, any building up in love, it takes place, as Henry Nowen said, not as not as something that we just seek or desire for one another but it comes as we seek Jesus. It's our having a right and a good understanding of who Jesus is and of what he's done for us. Now, as Paul writes uh, about unity, as he talks about the centrality of Christ within our unity, the the Ephesians aren't the only people uh, that he talks about. They're they're not the only people who he shares this with. In fact, I think if you read through most of Paul's letters uh, in the New Testament and most of the New Testament is written by Paul. Uh, you see this, this kind of push towards being unified in Christ throughout them all. And we hear this call to unity in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And I want to highlight this for us. Uh, as Paul's writing, he says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be knit together in the same mind and the same purpose. I mean, right, this this is kind of echoing what he's talking about with the Ephesians. It also echoes something that he writes in Philippians chapter two, where he says that we should all have the mind of Christ, but he's taking it a step further. He's getting just a little bit more specific. He spells out a little bit more about how the knowledge of the son of God looks. He says, there should be no divisions among you, right? You should be unified, but what unifies you is having the same mind and the same purpose. What brings you together is sharing some core understandings about who Jesus is and what he's done, about having this encounter with him that shapes and changes your lives. What brings you together is sharing core convictions about what scripture teaches us. Uh, What brings us together is having a unifying theme of pursuing holiness together. Uh, This kind of iron sharpens iron mentality, this way in which we encourage and equip one another to grow in Christ. The thing that enables us to develop the kind of humility, patience, gentleness, and bearing with one another in love that supports our unity is having the same mind and having the same purpose, this same understanding of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. You know, I, I saw a quote somewhere recently. It said, you know, how can one part of a church believe one thing and another part of the church believe the exact opposite and it still be a united church? I think Paul would say that it cannot those parts of the church can bless one another as they go. Uh, they can love one another. They can uh, be gentle with one another. But to be held together in unity needs that centralizing encounter with Jesus, some shared beliefs, some shared practices, a shared pursuit of holiness with the same idea and understanding of what holiness looks like that accompanies that encounter with Jesus. See, I, I, I love the Catholic Church. I follow the Pope on Twitter. I I I read uh, Bishop um, Bishop Barron, and uh, I love his notes and his thoughts on Scripture. But there's reasons that I'm not Catholic. I love the Baptist Church. Uh, I like listening to Andy Stanley preach. Uh, He's he's a phenomenal speaker. Um, I follow this guy J D. Greer, who's a Southern Baptist preacher out of uh, out of Raleigh. I, I love them, but there's reasons that I'm not Baptist. My brother-in-law is a Presbyterian Church of America pastor, and I love his ministry. I support his ministry. If you're going to Florida Gulf Coast University, I would recommend you go uh, to the Reformed University Fellowship, which is what he leads there. But there's reasons that I'm not PCA. And and with all of these groups, uh, you know, we can be united as Christians through faith in what Jesus has done. But then, you know, when we bring that a little bit closer... What brings us together in a denomination is having some shared beliefs and practices uh, that we that we join together with. But then what binds us together as as a local church is this church, is our commitment to love one another as Christ has loved us. And to allow that to so fill and flow through every part of our being that it begins to shape us into the people that he's called us to be. I think this is what it looks like for us as we strive to be faithful to God's call upon our lives, as we strive to live a life that is worthy of his calling, that we join together in the pursuit of the same thing, that we're joining together going in the, the same direction with the same mind and the same purpose, allowing our encounter with Christ to continue to transform us and to mold us and to make us more and more into his likeness. Now, let us pray together. Gracious and almighty God, uh, we give you thanks for what you have done for us in and through Jesus Christ. We give you thanks for his life, death, and resurrection, which offers to us uh, forgiveness of our sins, which offers to us salvation, the hope of life eternal with you. And so, Lord, we pray that you would continue to do that work within us, to shape us, to mold us, to make us. We pray that we might be found in Christ. And that as he becomes our source of life, our source of truth, our source of hope, we might be able to to share that with one another, that our character would begin to develop more and more into his likeness so that we might truly be patient and gentle, bearing with one another in love. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.